everybody. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Erin Hesse, part of High Point Church, and I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson. Hey. And our uh, Manohar James, our new what, scholar. What is it called? Re- uh, re- scholar in residence. Scholar, yes. Who is here for us for the next year. And since he's going to be here for a while and you're not all be able, going to be able to talk with him on a Sunday morning, we wanted him to be able to tell a little about, bit about himself and answer some questions that people have had just with why you're excited to be here and all that. So, Manohar, will you tell us a little bit about what brought you here in terms of how you came to know the Lord and just a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I'm from India, as everyone now here, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I'm a second generation Christian. My dad was a Hindu and uh, uh, he was a kind of anti-Christian before coming to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was in a profession, uh, kind of police job he was doing in India um, until he heard uh, about the Lord um, and then come to Jesus Christ. In fact, he came to Jesus Christ through a miracle that happened in our family. Um, It was my uh, older brother uh, who was not walking until he was uh, six years old. Uh, so he was he didn't have any kind of mobility mm-hmm. so uh, he was taken to several hospitals and also he was taken to hindu babas who uh, assumed that they have uh, powers to heal mm-hmm. this boy so that he could walk you know mm-hmm. as soon as possible uh, so when all these things failed somebody suggested him uh, to take him to Uh, one of the prayer meetings happening in the city. So he went there and he was uh, sitting at the end of the crowd, anonymous, and uh, finally, you know, towards the end of that prayer, uh, the preacher uh, calls my dad by name. Uh, uh, So he's surprised and he was trying to escape because very critical against Christianity, um, he was very anti-Christian during that time, but because of the need, he went there. Mm-hmm. So when he went there, when his name was called, he was surprised and somehow he was trying to escape, but he couldn't escape because of the crowd and yeah. some people know his name and he went there and the preacher asked him, uh, hey, Narayana Murthy, it's actually a name of a Hindu God. You are here, uh, you have some need. Uh, that's why you are here and the Lord wants you. So uh, then uh, he prays for uh, my older brother. At the time, I was not even born. Okay. Um, then he began to walk, the child, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, no manipulation on his mind because he was child, and yeah. child began to walk. It was an absolute miracle. Yeah. So that actually changed my dad's life. So he accepted Jesus, and uh, then he dedicated his life for the service of the Lord. And he resigned his police job and came to full-time ministry. Now he's a pastor for 55 years in India. Established uh, literally hundreds of churches. That's so cool. Huh. So then you came into the picture eventually. Right. (laughs) Right. So uh, I'm the last of five children. And uh, I grew up in that Christian atmosphere. And uh, I was kind of godly until I went to the school, uh, like college especially, uh, where I had... I mean, almost every one of them are Hindu, you know, mm-hmm. so they began to criticize me because I've been a Christian, uh, only Christian in this school, mm-hmm. and uh, 
they looked upon me like, hey, you are good for nothing. You don't follow our religion. You are a foreign kind of guy mm-hmm. to us. You know, I'm one among them, and even my own people, you know, yeah. uh, even some of the relatives yeah. tried to see me as an outsider because I accepted faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I'm a Christian guy. So, mm-hmm. because of which I used to go back to. Uh, my home and uh, criticize some of those Christian aspects. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day I went to my dad and asked if there is any way that we can go back to Hinduism. Uh, so my dad explained the story of how he came to the Lord. Yeah. And he said, we are now following true God. So far we have been following something that made no sense to us. Mm-hmm. So, well, that uh, answers did not uh, really affect me. I was a teenager, so you know how the teenage <laughs> mind works, yep. right? So, rebel. Right, rebel, 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 you know, all mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, I tried to ask him repeatedly whether we can go back to Hinduism because I my world is only my friends mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, my safety security as a teenager rather right. than in the whole, thing, whole picture, you know? Yep. So anyway, um, um, I... Uh, I was not given uh, polite answers by my dad anymore, so he beat me up a number of times because of rebellious nature. So then I decided I wanted to destroy the church that he's planting and he planted by doing everything my dad tells the church not to do, like smoking, (laughs) drinking, all that. Mm so that is sufficient in Indian context to destroy the church. You don't need to tell people not to go to the church. Mm-hmm. Do everything that your dad tells right. the church not to do. Yeah. You know, that's enough for the church to, <laughs> you know, revert back. There's some American master kids that have run by that same philosophy. <laughs> oh, okay. So, the, so that is the same thing happened to me. Uh, anyway, um, so I, I actually joined a film theater uh, as a projector operator, my dad tells the church uh, members not to go to theater. Mm-hmm. It's uh, basically uh, evil, wicked, not yeah. not good to go to theater. And you then were working in it. I began to work <laughs> there so that, you know, that's the best way to <laughs> affect my church yeah. negatively, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, my dad caught me red-handed in the theater one day mm-hmm. and uh, uh, took me uh, to his church um, where... Friday fasting prayer was going on and he beat me up so bad in front of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that hurt me so bad. So well, it humiliated me, right, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, so I, I decided I don't want to live kind of thing. No. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ran away from house um, that night uh, and I, I want to live a kind of uh, non-religious person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leave Christianity, leave Christ, all the teachings that my mother gave me, all that I just threw aside, and I want to live uh, a life of worldliness. Mm-hmm. So then I joined a factory to work, a ceramic factory, and I was working there for a few months. And uh, one night uh, uh, I was asked to go to a chimney, uh, you know, kind of in an open elevator. I need to go up there and work there. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, I would go. So as I was close to the chimney, about to take the elevator, a supervisor came running behind me and said, Manohar, you're not the right person to go there. I have someone to go in that place for you. Um, I said, fine. So I went back. So my friend actually took the elevator um, and he was going there and it's an open lift, just ropes there he Mm -hmm. could hold on to. So he felt a little jerk in the elevator. So he thought he was falling down. 
to the ground. So he caught a, 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 a cord right in front of him. He could see it was actually like three o'clock in the early morning hours so he he caught that rope thinking that he's going to save himself from falling yeah. but that was 11,000 high tension electric cord so he was pushed down to the ground charged to death mm. so uh, then there was a siren that indicates that workers have to rush to that spot something mm. danger happened so I went there and I saw this man uh, who was a good friend of mine just dead mm. that that time the Lord spoke to me and this is your place of death. So I have a purpose and plan for you. Yeah. I waited until the main gates were open, left the company. I didn't even care for what I need to get salary. Half month I worked, nothing. I just left. Uh, went back to home, reconciled with my dad. And uh, I found a Bible school. I wanted to go learn more about mm. the God who spoke to me. Yeah. So learned and then the Lord changed uh, my way of thinking and gave me passion for souls. So mm -hmm. I went to uh, one of the toughest states in India called Himachal Pradesh. It's in the up north, okay. uh, which is called the land of gods, mm -hmm. uh, which does not have place for Jesus. Right. I went there, I suffered and I was beaten up uh, twice, mm -hmm. left for dead. And... Uh, my passion was not quenched for souls. Today, after like two and a half years serving there, there is a church and there is a Bible school. Mm. So then went to uh, Bible school for higher education and uh, the Lord gave me passion, not just to go and preach one-on-one, one-to-one, -on -one, rather to train church planters in a Bible school in central part of India, where How I served. How long ago was that? that it, was, uh, it was uh, uh, 2000, uh, to 2009, mid 2009, okay. I was serving there training these pastors about eight and a half years there. So, when did you go to school? A theological training? That? Yeah, I went to Bible school in 1993. Okay. Uh, and then I was there until 1996. Um, but uh, the Bible school is like not three years, two and a half years is a kind of training, mm -hmm. and uh, half year is for church planting. So, you have to go and plant a church. So I went and uh, planted church there and then came back after two and a half years for higher education. Um, then went into uh, Bible school too. Uh, I graduated in 2000, like mm -hmm. two years for MDiv. And from 2000 onwards, I was in Bible school. One Bible school called Gospel of Russia, a Biblical Training Center in Madhya Pradesh. Um, I was there for two years before I came to central part of India, Nagpur, Mission India Theological Seminary. So I was like kind of a Bible school teacher, administrator for almost 10 years. Yeah, before coming to Asbury Theological Seminary uh, in 2009. Uh, and uh, actually during that time I was teaching in Bible school. That was the place I met uh, Pastor Nick Gibson. Okay. Yeah, that was the time. Okay. <laughs> so my first trip was in 2003, I think it was. Yeah, okay. yeah right, correct. Yeah. So, but you did not. When did you meet? Two thousand three. So the the Amer the main American leader of um, 
uh, Mission India, Remi is what it's called in America, is a guy named Saji Lukos. And Saji had asked me to go and teach in the Bible college in Nagpur, okay. which is a pretty normal deal for them is, you know, they, they recruit people for the American church to go and teach a one-week Bible class. Mm-hmm. And it's generally helpful for their students, but it also gets those people involved in ministry. Right. It's meant to be symbiotic. Yeah. And so um, I went in 2003, and then I think I went again in 2005, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Um, and did, did that same same deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So And so Manohar and I met in 2003, and... I got to see him again in 2005 as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how did it, so you're here now, um, well, and so you ended up 2009 is what you were talking about. So then that's mm-hmm. six years ago or seven, seven years ago. Yeah. So to put this in context so, yeah. for you, yes. Manohar, when I came to um, the Mission India School, how many students were there at that time? There were 200. Yeah, 200 students. Yeah. And then how many, how many smaller Bible colleges were there? Uh, there were about... Uh, about 15 to 16 Bible schools. Yeah. Right. Okay. So there's 15 to 16 Bible schools all connected. Yeah, right. And they, those schools have 7 to 30 students, right? Right, right, right. Something like That's, that. Yeah. And in that whole movement, were there there were some people that had earned PhDs in Indian schools, right? There were right, a few. Right, yeah. But an earned PhD at the Indian Bible Colleges, most of them are not the same thing. No. Right. And even in, in fact, in that school I was working, there was no PhD guy, doctoral student at all. Right. But there was one guy who comes as a visiting professor who is to come and teach the rest of them are like postgraduate or graduate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that whole movement there really there wasn't anybody that had been trained on a PhD level no. like we think of it. No. No. And so I mean so just imagine that there's so there's hundreds of churches associated with Remi. Mm-hmm. They've got you say fifteen or sixteen Bible colleges, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, and then there's their main theological center that has like 200 students. Mm-hmm. And for all of that theological education, all those churches, all those pastors, all of that, there isn't anybody in that whole movement that's trained at the PhD level theologically. Yeah. Okay. And that's pretty normal. Yeah. In yeah. India. Right. And that is not, and that is a movement. A lot of churches in India have no relationship to a movement. They're just independent pastors mm-hmm. and churches. And as Minohar said a lot of times in his presentations, that something around 80% of the pastors of independent churches have no Bible training at all in, wow. in any way, in any form. So yeah. it isn't like they went to a Bible college that didn't have a PhD training them. They've never been to any training at all. Yeah. They've watched other pastors preach. They're at least semi-literate mm-hmm. in reading the Bible in their language. Mm-hmm. And that's their training. Okay. So you went there, you're going there was to bring some of that education that just isn't naturally there. Was it trained in seminary? No. I mean, what I did wasn't any better than what Minohar did teaching as an indigenous teacher. I mean, I have an MDiv, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty substantial graduate degree. Mm -hmm. It has more credits than PhDs in a lot of other subjects, but without the focused work that a PhD does. So the benefit of educating Minohar on the PhD level, which we'll get to here in a second, Mm -hmm. isn't just a broadness of education, but it allows you to study something and that does two things. It makes you an expert on something nobody else mm-hmm. is an expert on. But it also, you learn how to become an expert. Mm-hmm. And so you can then do that. Mm-hmm. And so not only did Manohar broaden his education, he deepened it in an area that was critical to ministry in India. Mm-hmm. And he achieved becoming an expert in such a way as that he can then train other people how to become right. research experts. Yeah, I can do that. And so that's, there's like three benefits here. So it's one of the reasons why... And so when I was at Christchurch, we'll get back to you in a second here, Manohar. But I was at Christchurch at the time um, when I went on my first trip. And the senior pastor still there is a guy named Mike Woodruff. 
and Mike Woodruff was running two organizations at the time. One was um, something for college ministers, but another one was called CISF, Christian International Scholarship Foundation, which now is called Scholars International. Scholarly Edition International. Scholars International. Yeah. And their vision was finding high-capacity indigenous leaders in the majority world and training them at the PhD level so that they could basically go back and nourish a whole right. swath of other leaders yeah. and bring them all up. And the research they had done was that they, they believed that one leader that was already a high performer in their country, already very godly, mm-hmm. trained on the PhD level, who goes back, can affect in some way a million or more people if they have 20 more years of service, mm-hmm. right? And so I was, I was interacting with that in my home church, which is a missions church, and I heard Mike talking about this. I'm in India, meeting a bunch of indigenous mm-hmm. Indian leaders, um, and there was only one of the ones that I met that I thought this person could be the sort of person Mike is talking about, a high-capacity, godly, intelligent leader who is the sort of person that would be interested in being training at that level, who would also actually go back right. when they were done, which mm-hmm. is a huge if. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they had, if God gave them 20 more years of service, could impact that kind of group of people. Okay. And so that's when I began to believe that Manohar might be that kind of person. And as time passed, I began to encourage him towards that. And, and, and Saji, the leader of Rimi, that, that that was important for the development of his ministry. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. That makes sense. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. Yeah. Where that connect happened. Because, yeah, I knew that you guys had known each other right. for quite some time. So I had the great idea. In some ways, I had the great idea of inviting Manohar to come to a PhD. Mm-hmm. He just had to do all the suffering and work. <laughs> right. Which is typical me, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, so we had a conversation about this in 03 or 05, I can't remember. Yeah, well, actually, actually even after 05, mm-hmm. we have exchanged a lot of emails mm-hmm. um, to find out how... How we would fund such a thing. Fundraising. That's always the biggest yeah. problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, I came to States for fundraising for the ministry I had been connected with. Yes. So I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, sat in a class, went to Trinity, sat in a class, mm-hmm. went to Asbury Theological Seminary, sat in a class. Mm-hmm. And I was plugged in there. Like, I love to be trained there. So, And part of it was the two main guys doing theology in Rimi at the time had both been trained at Trinity. And so he and I talked. I was trained at Trinity, too, and I love Trinity. Mm -hmm. But Manohar said, you know, there's a limit to the number of people you want trained in one place. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons I was favorable towards him choosing Asbury was for that reason. We had a lot of Trinity effect on this ministry and Asbury was a healthy theological place from a different perspective and so his desire to go there I thought well I would that's not what I would have picked but but Asbury also has high academic standards Mm -hmm. and I knew that that was really important to Menohar as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and knowing that he was gonna be interested in doing intercultural studies and studying missions Mm -hmm. um, Asbury and Fuller really have what are known as the best mission schools Mm -hmm. and so it was also it was also really reasonable for that Mm -hmm. that reason too okay so that was in 2009. Right. That Okay. And then mm-hmm. you were here for how long? Yeah, it's, just... yeah it's since 2009. So, and, uh, but we went every year back to India, okay, spent uh, three to four months mm-hmm. uh, trying to uh, encourage leaders and also teach a modular course in the Theological Training Center mm-hmm. back in uh, Nagpur. Mm-hmm. So then in 2011, the Lord gave us a fresh vision for the pastors uh, in India. And how many, when you say the pastors in India, how many are you talking about? Or well, actually, specifically well like? actually, um, 
first when we went to 2000 we had the network of 110 pastors coming together okay. and uh, um, no I, I think she means in the country of India oh how many like just pastors are there that have had oh oh well I don't know we maybe literally thousands I don't know how many thousands but I can say two-thirds of the Indian church is on the rural side okay and 80% of that two-thirds Never went to Bible school. Mm. That makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, for example, if you and the pop- the Christian population in India is somewhere around between eight and something percent. What do you think? Um, well, it's less than seven percent. Okay. Um, if it, it is unofficial, it, official uh, statistics is like three point five percent. So, but uh, I think Operation World has published last edition like seven percent. So I okay. think it should be seven or less, mm. not more than that. Oh, okay. And so then you were specifically reaching 110 of those pastors. His first trip. First trip. trip. Um, It was actually exploration trip, not really training trip. Exploration on uh, what really they need. Is that true, what I heard about uh, uh, the pastors in India? Is it really 80% of these pastors, independent pastors, Mm -hmm. uh, need really some kind of help? Mm -hmm. Um, So when... um, my wife and I went to uh, India to explore on pastors, what are their needs, mm-hmm. uh, whether what I heard about uh, 80% of the independent pastors do not have theological training is true or not. So mm-hmm. we had uh, 110 pastors show up for the network meeting in a state called Andhra Pradesh. So, mm-hmm. in fact, uh, I had uh, um, John chapter 2 in front of them, asked them to analyze that for me. Mm. I had several questions. Almost like 90 to 95% of them wrong in interpreting that. And that shocked me. Mm. So then I asked them how many of them went to Bible school. So three hands went up out of Mm. 110 pastors. Then uh, I asked which school they went. I asked each one of them and then one of them said I went to a particular school. He told the name of the Bible school and he went for three years. And then other two, um, they went through kind of a correspondence course, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, not online, like, you know, writing it by post, some materials come and they prepare and send it. And they have never completed it. So this is the story. And uh, at the end, uh, I asked what you're looking for. Typical answer would be if it were asked, if the same question were asked uh, 15 years prior to that, would be like, I need support, financial support. Help me with $100 every month or something like that. But none of these pastors asked that kind of thing. Really? Um, They asked, we need to equip ourselves. Several people said, we don't know how to preach. Uh, several people say, oh, um, some of us even do not know how to go and evangelize. And uh, another guy said, today, many of the uh, evangelism methods have been outdated because mm-hmm. of raising persecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked, what are they? They said, house visiting, you cannot do house, door-to-door evangelism anymore. Not because we are lazy, we don't want to do it. All people are not receptive. They are receptive. But if we go there, there are anti-Christian groups which are having an eye on us, surveillance on us, mm-hmm. and they try to attack us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like uh, open-air public um, preaching is also outdated. Mm-hmm. And film showing, Jesus' film showing in the public places is gone. Yeah. So then what way we can reach them? Mm-hmm. And all we have is to preach. Mm-hmm. 
in the place that we invite people to. Right. But we are not equipped to do that mm-hmm. well enough. And they said, um, if there is some opportunity that we can go through an informal way of training and we can uh, um, have this dignity of preaching without some people blame us that we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. That was the time the Lord broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Said, you know, we will uh, not go back to some position where I can have a high back chair mm-hmm. and enjoy a position called principal or president of a seminary and write a bunch of books and mm-hmm. of course I might do that with the degree mm-hmm. but uh, want to be obedient to God's call to train these pastors then mm-hmm. I saw a uh, kind of picture like you have a beautiful building on a weak foundation mm-hmm. so everybody wanted to plant churches on a weak foundation mm-hmm. so uh, that's where the Lord told us go and repair the foundations yeah. so we started doing that today we have 800 plus pastors in three different states, you know, showing up and uh, learning from us. So mm-hmm. our vision so is cool. to train at least 25,000 pastors in the next 25 years. Okay. And if the Lord blesses us more, we may do more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, a small vision mm-hmm. we're trying to accomplish yeah. within our lifetime. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. So when did you, so when you said you found out that like 80% of that mm-hmm. two thirds yeah. had no training, did you find that out when you were doing your PhD work? Right. When you were studying right. statistics right. on Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're studying persecution. Right. And how pastors were doing stuff that wasn't maybe the best thing to do. Right. Because you were finding not only were they not very good positively in terms of their biblical mm-hmm. training, you were finding that negatively they were copying Western means of evangelism that didn't fit culture of the Indian mm-hmm. people and actually producing a negative effect rather than a positive one. Right. In fact, uh, uh, it all happened in 2011. Um, three different levels. God shook my life in that 2011. Um, there was a guy, I don't want to name it publicly, there was a guy who came to give a paper presentation on urban missions. Mm-hmm. Uh, on what? Urban, urban, urban missions. Mission. Okay. Urban oh, missions, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So urban missions, how do you <laughs> <laughs> That makes sense. So urban missions, he said, this is what we need to do in India. And two thirds of the church is rural. Right. So let's only let's focus on urban missions. They are growing, uh, cities are growing, towns are growing and all right. that. Uh, and I was sitting there very critical about it because I come from a village. Um, I know a lot of evangelism happens in the villages, mm-hmm. not in the towns. And it is in the villages that pastors are beaten up for preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. And uh, these people who heard the gospel at least somewhat first or second or third time in the villages when they move, to town for job and all and then they are looking for some kind of connections mm-hmm. and they find church is viable to that mm-hmm. and somehow they end up in the church but evangelism in the first place was done in the villages mm-hmm. not in the towns and, mm-hmm. um, then I was questioning even the professor like uh, so what do you mean by urban missions do we need to carry the projectors everything and all this uh, 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 Hollywood kind of music, you know, Bollywood kind of music into the villages to attract them. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, 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 I'm not saying that, but this is responses. Let's, I think we have messed up. We need to think of doing a mission in the way that Hindus carry on their spirituality mm-hmm. so we can have contextualization mm-hmm. rather than change the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the paradigm of doing missions. I think we are trying to bring uh, Western 
things into Christian thing and totally um, look like a different thing which for which we have been blamed for mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's why the persecution is rising. Mm-hmm. That's where people are opposing because they say that's not our religion, that's a Western religion. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as people like, began to blame, you know, so many people like, okay, a, a woman, when she goes to a temple, she covers her head and she has all kind of um, body covering and she goes with a lot of uh, reverend, reverence to the Lord. And now as soon as she becomes Christian, she changes her uh, outfits, you know, do all kind of Western things, which is against our culture. Right. So. And why is that shift right away? Mm-hmm. It is a kind of political. They think it's economic, mm-hmm. much more than spiritual. Sure. So they have a negative understanding about Christianity because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. So then when we were taking a trip to India in 2011, the same year, after this presentation, uh, I read an article in uh, Times of India, a magazine, uh, or India Today, either one of them, and it, which said... Uh, Freelancers of God are mushrooming across India. Hmm. You can still find out that one if you Google search. Yeah. Freelancers of God mushrooming across India. Then I clicked on, I read that. It says how uh, pump set workers, you know, the borewell workers, mm-hmm. uh, becoming... The what workers? Borewell. You know borewell? Uh, they, they, they dig borewells. Like the water, yes. they call borewells. Oh, like well diggers. Yeah, well diggers, but okay. we call borewells. So okay. uh, it's like sometimes contractors turning to become Christians and they give up their profession to become pastors. Mm-hmm. So it talks about like, the article talks about how people are leaving their mm-hmm. uh, small, small jobs mm-hmm. and becoming pastors. And in that article, one of the Catholic priests uh, was uh, criticizing on these pastors who are spreading the gospel everywhere and seems to be good, growing, but they are bringing disaster upon the church in India because these people do not know how to articulate gospel. These people do not know how to take their followers deep into the word of God. Mm -hmm. Um, So they create a kind of different Christianity. And these were also people who were in the villages. Then they're all in the villages. So, so this she's talk, I mean, the article is talking about the movement going on, freelancers mm-hmm. of God, like independent pastors. Mm-hmm. They not only go and spread the gospel; they they're fast to plant the churches, and also fast to fall mm-hmm. down you know, to the deviant religions, mm-hmm. or they are also fast to be persecuted mm-hmm. because they do not know how to wisely articulate the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are kind of John the Baptists who call uh, people with various names like brood of vipers, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, so you know, I feel like we need to clarify some things just to make sure people don't get the wrong impression about what we're talking about. Um, so one of the things you said was um, when people become Christians, they begin to do these other things which are against Indian culture, which is predominantly affected by mm-hmm. Hinduism. And... So, I mean, obviously people hopefully know historically that um, the, early, the earliest Christian missionaries were European mm-hmm. and they came to India. In doing so, they didn't always, they very rarely split up their faith from their culture. Mm-hmm. And so they brought a culturized Christian faith to India. And so oftentimes it wasn't indigenous and, um, and it came parallel to imperialism. Mm-hmm. And so there is some real cultural history of Christianity and the imperial powers being connected and so on. Yes. Um, 
but it but I think one of the things to clarify is when you say, oh, um, we do these things and they're against Hindu culture, you're that I think some people may hear a certain kind of syncretism in that, that you're saying, no, no, you, we, there's a Hindu kind of Christianity. But one of the examples you give in your lectures is that churches build steepled roofs, mm-hmm. right? right? And you, you I, so I was in under protection. He's talking to pastors and, and he's saying, are we allowed to build a church with a flat right. roof mm-hmm. that goes out horizontally rather than up vertically? And they say, and they're like, no, no, that looks like a Hindu temple. And he says, and he says, why do we build steepled churches? And they're like, well, because, you know, they point up to God or something. And he's like, no, it's because the Christians that brought the faith to us came from lands where there is snow. Mm. And because of the weight of snow, they build steepled roofs. So the snow will slide down and won't crush the building. And so now we build steepled churches mm-hmm. in the land where there is no snow or ice mm. because of that. And so we really just taken something that has nothing to do with Jesus from their culture. We've spiritualized and says, oh, it points up to God. Mm-hmm. And now we've met, we make our buildings so that they look entirely different. They don't look spiritual to Hindu people. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that is Hindu and not Christian about horizontal buildings. Right. And as as opposed to saying we should do Christian yoga, those are not the same thing. Right, right, right. So, but with, what Noah goes through in the classes is that there are different levels of contextualization and how we deal with things. Some is just like, do you really have to stop wearing a sari just because you've become a Christian? Mm-hmm. Do you, the dot on women's heads? Mm-hmm. It, it's a Hindu signification. It also signifies that they're married. Mm-hmm. So if you take the dot off. Yes, you're showing that you're not a Hindu, but you're also taking away a reverence mark, mm-hmm. demonstrating that you're a modest married woman. Right. And so you're sending more signals just then you don't worship Shiva. Right. And so it, that's the kind of stuff Manohar is trying to get into is like, yeah. how do you, is that fair? Yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly. Because today I always say three reasons for persecution and opposing Christianity in India. First is a, a religious reason. Um because we talk about the true God, they don't like mm-hmm. because they are uh, pluralists. Right. They have several gods and they wanted to accommodate Jesus among them. But we don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. We say he is the only God, right? Mm-hmm. And the second is a political reason because they see um, Christianity as uh, synonymous with uh, colonialism. Yeah. And the third is a contextual reason. People don't contextualize properly mm-hmm. because they appear to be kind of aliens. Because mm-hmm. we ourselves as Christians are aliens to our own people. Why? Mm-hmm. You know, because we have uh, uh, not just taken the gospel to us when white people brought to us, but we have taken their cultural patterns as if something related to Christianity. Mm-hmm. We carried some of those things, like he is pointing out to the steep churches. Right. Even dress codes. Suits, suits, suits and ties. You know, ties. And dress codes, all yeah. that. Yeah. And I remember you spoke last week that even, I mean, we talk about how there should be separation of church and state here and whatever that was supposed to mean. But that in India, there is, or yeah, there is such an integration between politics and religion right. exactly. that it's very hard for them mm-hmm. to separate. So it's an even larger barrier to, mm-hmm. to overcome. Yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. exactly true. So and they think like, you are following a foreign god, that means you are going politically on the right. side of, so they see us as a treason to the country. We are betraying our country mm-hmm. values or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, one of the things that we cover in um, contextualization teaching is, is that there's there's like three 
there's two poles and then there's the center category. There's the pole of syncretism where you're so trying to connect with a culture that there's no difference. You mm-hmm. kind of become the same as them. So mm-hmm. in America, that would be theological liberalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we so want to be like pluralistic, secular culture that the church essentially becomes so pluralistic and secular it doesn't believe in the Bible, the exclusivity of right. Jesus, the atoning death, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. In India, it would be a Hinduized Christianity that was not that distinguishable from Hinduism, right? Sure. On the other end is what we call obscurantism, where like you're so other that yeah. people have no idea what you're Correct. talking yeah. about or they think you're just attacking them. Mm-hmm. And that's like saying, well, in order to show I'm not a Hindu, I'm going to wear a suit mm-hmm. so that there's no way you could mistake me for a Hindu Swami, right? But there were Western missionaries who went to India and dressed up like Hindu Swamis right. so people would see them as spiritual teachers mm-hmm. so that they could spiritually teach about mm-hmm. Jesus, right? Like, right. Yeah, we have Robert D. Nobley has done that one. Okay. Even uh, recently... Uh, I think 50 years ago, it was uh, Stanley Jones. Mm-hmm. Stanley Jones, you know, they all did that ashrams. They followed some of them. They brought high officials into the fold of Jesus Christ. Um, e. Stanley Jones and uh, Vascom Piquet. And these were orthodox in their theology. Yeah, right, they believed right, in salvation right, through Christ. Yeah. Even, even we think of Hudson Taylor in China yeah, Inland Mission. Yeah, yeah. One of the first huge differences of his ministry was he dressed like a Chinese man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just a fairly simple change. And he had all the CIM people dressed like Chinese people and it just made it such a difference right. and they had to learn Chinese yeah. and, mm-hmm. and minister in Chinese and not in English and make English schools and make people learn English so they could learn about Christianity and those mm-hmm. two basic differences I, I'm going to dress Chinese I'm going to speak Chinese mm-hmm. and, and, and then China Inland Mission went everywhere in China it was the most successful missionary mm-hmm. endeavor in China yeah. because of, because they contextualized right. so what Manohar is doing is trying to just start the conversation mm-hmm. okay can you be a pastor? I've heard, I heard him say, can you be a pastor and not wear white? Like, that's a real question in India. <laughs> yeah. huh. And just to be like, wait, so I could wear, I could wear like blue and be a pastor. And then it gets a little trickier when you say, could a pastor wear orange? Which doesn't sound like anything here. But in India, orange is associated with Hinduism. Right. Okay. It's like the huh. team color. Okay. And huh. so a, a pastor dressing in that shade of orange like, that's a crazy idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> huh. yeah. right? Um, yeah. And so can you eat food that's been sacrificed to idols? Like mm-hmm. stuff that the Bible talks about. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very touchy kinds of issue. Sure. And so the Indian rural church has been so affected by American fundamentalism mm-hmm. that they have all of our American fundamentalist baggage. And yet they're trying to reach a Hindu culture. So you imagine how, how like fundamentalist churches in many ways are considered um, like obscure in America. Mm-hmm. And yet, these this is the heritage we've given these pastors, the yeah. example we've given them yeah. to minister in India. Yeah. And so Manohar is just trying to let them off the hook and just be like, look, <laughs> you can build this kind of a church. You can preach this kind of sermon. You can, um, And then if you can add to that biblical training, because if you just contextualize and you give no biblical training, then maybe they will fall into syncretism and we don't want that. Right. So we want to train them how to contextualize and train them in biblical theology yeah. so that they can contextualize and not be obscure right. and contextualize and not be syncretistic. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we have designed eight courses for this training. So mm-hmm. four courses on theology, foundation, mm-hmm. strong foundation. It's not so deep, like they can be overwhelmed, mm-hmm. but they have basic uh, like doctrines of the Bible, mm-hmm. um, Bible survey, and art of preaching, mm-hmm. missional methods, oh, yeah. some of these things. Then, then restaurant culture, religious freedom. Yeah. It's like perfect balance for uh, an effective pastor. Yeah. So.
Yeah. yeah, cool. So, and you know, Nick, you said, oh, go ahead. So I'm just saying, after they finish those courses, mm-hmm. some of these pastors are young and some of them will say, all right, I want to go to Bible college now, mm-hmm. right? So part of it gives them a taste mm-hmm. for training and then if they want to get more academic training, they can. Sure. But it also gives them enough so they can not do harm right. and learn to do good. Yeah, without necessarily going to school. They, they still can be effective. Right. And, yeah. and some of these guys are... Fairly effective. I mean, some people mm-hmm. just sort of figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just trying to add to whatever. Right. They can find. Yeah. Cool. So you, that's so cool that you do want to go back to India. That it, that it is something um, that, like you said, Nick, earlier, that most, a lot of people end up just staying here and become professors and have the nice comfy chair and um, can write books all day. And that, that could be your life in what you're doing. And yet you are choosing to go back. And so after you are here um, through May... Right. So it's so when we work, I worked this out with the Redeem Indies board. Mm-hmm. Um, the the number we used is um, fifteen to twenty months. Okay. So it's it's okay. he may very well be here the better part of two years. Two years. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So and meanwhile we will have uh, enough time to travel back and forth yeah, to do this. Good. It's not like mm-hmm. I'm stuck here with <laughs> right. this in there. Not like that. Yeah. But during this time. And we want to make sure as much as we can do yeah. back in India. So we will be looking at some of those opportunities. As Good. you know, as the funds available, mm-hmm. we are right there on yeah. the ground and doing this. This is our heartbeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, in the couple minutes that we've got left, what are you hoping to do here when you're in Madison for these 15 to 20 months um, with where your heart is, what you are lo- hoping to learn as well as bring to the community? Because there are, again, so many people who are from India in Madison specifically. Mm-hmm. I don't know the percentage, um, but it is, isn't it the highest? It's the highest? It's the highest non-white group of people on the West side. Okay. And I think it's yeah. the second largest um, foreign student population at the university, second to Chinese. Okay. So yeah, hearing that and knowing where your heart is, what is it that you are most excited about for these next Yeah, well, uh, we are here um, primarily to connect with churches and give awareness about the need Mm -hmm. in India Mm -hmm. and fundraise for our cause that, you know, training pastors. That's one of the reasons, uh, maybe the most uh, Mm -hmm. uh, major reason. Mm -hmm. And the second is that um, there are people who do not have uh, uh, full knowledge about what India is all about Mm -hmm. uh, or about the missional needs. So uh, we would educate them. And also at this church, there are people who are passionate about uh, Asian communities right here mm-hmm. in Madison. They don't have to cross the seas to reach an Indian. They are here, mm-hmm. uh, several thousands of Indians. So uh, they need a kind of a strategy to reach yeah. them. Uh, they need to have some basic knowledge about India, religion, religions, and uh, uh, how to go about approaching someone right. with the gospel. Right. So I would like to add to their knowledge of approaching them uh, appropriately so that they can have some fruitful uh, ministry mm-hmm. in reaching out to the Indians who come from India or who come from South Asia of mm-hmm. different religions. Yeah. Because actually my major is in religions, world religions. So mm-hmm. I'm good with world religions. I have hands-on information I can pass on to so uh, people can uh, easily get hooked up with someone and mm-hmm. somehow attempt to bring them to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want to reiterate that his primary objective is fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of ministry that we're trying to do in India, um, the, the, the average cost per pastor per course is about $25, give or take. 
And so, so you multiply 25 times 8, that's 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. So it's about $200 per pastor to get through these courses. And so you multiply 25,000 yep. pastors mm-hmm. by 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. And essentially that's what he's saying. He's got to raise. Yeah. And I mean, there's some other administrative costs and so sure. on, just the training costs. That. So, I mean, and, and they don't I mean, this is, these are all indigenous people that are doing this work. I mean, mm-hmm. th- this is not like an American ministry that is going to India to help them. This is all of his staff, all the people working in the country, everybody who is at the seminars are all people that are n- not just Indians, but native to the region mm-hmm. in which we're doing the ministry. And so um, that just needs funding. There just isn't funding for these rural pastors. Mm-hmm. And so that's his main objective. And so anybody who wants to meet with Manohar who might listen to this, you can just send an email to the front, you know, the front desk or send an email to me or someone here at mm-hmm. High Point and um, say, hey, I'd like a meeting with Manohar and he'll be happy to sit down and have coffee, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll also be teaching some stuff that you'll get to see. He won't be here every Sunday. So just everybody should know that mm-hmm. because anytime he gets an opportunity to go speak at another church, mm-hmm. yeah. he's going to take it. Okay. So, you know, in 20 months, you know, out of almost 100 Sundays, he may only be here 30 mm-hmm. or fewer, mm-hmm. hopefully fewer. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it'll go that well. Right. So um, people need to know that. But at the same time, um, it's remarkable how little you need to know about a nation like India to sort of get it on the first level of getting it mm-hmm. culturally and to be able to see other people with more empathy. Because mm-hmm. part of what yeah. it, the difficulty is, when you don't know anything, people just seem so other. Mm-hmm. But when you see that certain things that they do that make them seem different from you are expressions of the same thing you express in a totally different way, mm-hmm. but that you value, you actually realize that the very thing you think separates you is an expression of the same value. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes much more easy to empathize with people and feel like you're very similar as humans together, mm-hmm. which allows for connection right. and the sharing of the gospel and love and community and mm-hmm. the kinds of things that lead people to Jesus. Yeah. So I think sometimes just, you know, if Manohar just teaches a class like introduction to Hinduism in India or whatever he would call it, um, it's just a simple couple hours invested in that or six hours over six weeks on Sunday morning. Those kinds of things make a huge difference mm-hmm. in relating to people at work or at grocery stores or in your neighborhood. Right. I think that there's some really neat things you can do to help us with that. Yeah, which is perfect because of where we are here in Madison. Mm-hmm. So, great. Yeah, and the more Madison seeks to have an economic identity as a tech center, mm-hmm. um, the more this is going to be true right. given the cultural interests of Indian families and how they educate their kids and what fields they tend to go into, which yeah. tend to be tech and programming fields and sure. medicine and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Business. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you yeah, thank for you. being here thank, and thank sharing. You. Yeah, it's been really good. And it's exciting to have you here again, too, to hear about India. And then also for you, for you to be able to contextualize here, um, Indians who have moved here now. Um, I've already been able to mm-hmm. glean from that. So thank you. And thanks, Nick, for being here, too. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get to come. There's a couple other really great subjects that yes. Nahar will be good on. So he'll be back on the podcast. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for inviting. All right. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And um, we'll catch you again soon. Thank you.